Okay, we're on Malachim Beis, Perich of Beis, Pasuk Gimel. We began the reign of Yeshio HaMelech, Tzadik Yisraelim from the Tzadikim of Malchi Beis David, and his reign will be very successful while it lasts. Um, I guess we'll call that not successful enough, but that is not totally in his jurisdiction. It's his decision to go out to war, as we'll see, but the combination of factors in the success of a particular person is due to their schusim, their bechira, and very much due to circumstances, the schusim of the people, especially in public service. Meshach Rabbeinu was told, Lech Reid, it wasn't his mistake. He didn't participate in the Chet Egel. It certainly wasn't his idea. And he's told to go down a Madriga because of the lack of schus of the people who are uh, being shepherded by him, if you'll call it. So it's a combination of many things. Had Kleisrael had the schusim to avoid the Churban, he would have survived. Uh, he once shared with you a diak that I had in the Ramam. The Ramam, he talks about Rabbi Kiva's support of Bar Kirchfe. So Bar-Kirfa clearly had the potential to be the Melech HaMashiach. Had that potential not been there, Rabbi Kiva never would have supported him. And the Ramam says that that's one of his rayas, his main historical rayas. Melech HaMashiach doesn't have to do Nisim Leflos. can be that he will, and it can be that he has the powers to do so, but that's not part of his resume. He doesn't have to show Nisim Neflos to prove he's the Melech Mashiach. And the fact that he is a tzaddik, and he's a tamachacham, and he's a leader, and he's following in the footsteps of David Aviv, the Ramam says, and primarily the fact that he gets the job done. He causes tshuva, he wins the Muhammad, secures Yerit Yisrael, has to fight Gog Magog, perhaps, to where that fits in. And he wins all the battles, Maccabees, Kibbutz, Goliath, and he does the job of the Melech HaMashiach. Then, by definition, he's the Melech HaMashiach. Very simple prescription. Can't make any mistakes. Uh, in this long gullus, we've had many things. When you're looking for something, you look. And if you look hard enough, you find, even if you didn't really find. So the Ramam says, Rabbi Kiva supported him for a while, and we don't see that he ever asked him for any Isa Mephis. Why not? The rivet argues over there, and the rivet says, yes, he did, or they did, and he didn't produce, and they killed him as an Abishakar. That's quite a difference in the history of it. Um, also, a difference in Shita and how to approach it. It doesn't mean there won't be Nisim and Uflaws then, and he won't perform it, and he won't give them these Isis Mice. And the Ramam just says, you can't challenge him with that to disprove him. And you can follow him and support him if it looks like he's doing the job. The Ramam concludes that Rabbi Kiva figured out it wasn't. As it was going well, which it was, he had beat out the Romans to the extent that he, Raias, he secured Yushalayim and even laid the foundation for the Bayez Hashlishi. It was 70 years approximately after Chorban Bayez Shani. They figured the second Gullus would be like the first Gullus. And the Ramam says they realized it wasn't happening. It says, Ad Shenerek Ba'avainus. And the word Avainus is very interesting. In Lashon Kedish, if it was Bakhechfa's fault, it would be Ad Shenerek Sov. And if it was our fault, it would be Ashenari Bavenus Enu. And the Ramah picks this generic power of word, Ashenari Bavenus, the Averis. Who's Averis? The answer is his. Had he stayed straight and on the derech, 
and focused, perhaps that would have raised everybody up, even though we were not yet completely roy by ourselves, but Tzaddik can raise people up. And had we been on the Madrega, that's Chus would have kept him straight. So therefore it was the collective Avainus, our Averis and his Averis, our lack of Schusim and his lack of Schusim. So Yeshio is going to have a similar profile, that uh, he is a Tzaddik, but if he makes a mistake and the door is not Roy Lekach, it's not going to work. Perhaps had one of the two gone perfect or as perfect as it can go in this world, uh, that would have saved it. That's not going to happen. But we have a lot of good news until we get to the bad news. Let's go to Pasig Gimel. Actually, go back to Pasig Beis. Perichav Beis, Pasig Beis. Fayas, Ayash, Abayin, Hashem, Ve'il, Bechol, Derech, David, Aviv, Elosar, Yamin, Asmal. That's about the greatest description of a person, certainly a king, who is unlettered, according to many, when he starts. Remember, his father's a Russia, grandfather was Manasseh did a quasi-tshuva, but not a whole lot of learning going on. He grows up really in a vacuum. So he didn't know that much, but he's willing to learn, and he's a tzaddik b'yasayi, he's a heligan shama, and he learns on the job. And the Pasuk says, lasar yamin small. Whatever he knew, he did. Never veered left or right? Right or left? Yes. Right, right, right. So I find that interesting also that I was sort of running that, that he didn't do everything right. He didn't even ask everything because he didn't know to ask. There's not a lot in the Psukim that gives us any clue that there was interaction between him and the Navi until the Navi comes. Well, he's first going to ask Holder what to do, and she's going to give a very strong muster. We don't find Yemiyos in the background, we don't find a lot of interaction. Why not? He wasn't running away from it. He was a big tzaddik. The answer is he didn't know. And in the palace, he was surrounded by people who probably were not that interested in raising the bar again, as Chizkio was when he did it uh, successfully. And he just didn't know. So I think the Pusik says, whatever he was convinced was right, he did with a tremendous, tremendous focus and a certain like, almost ferociousness that he was going to get it done successfully, like David. The difference between David and him, or many differences, is as you, as you just asked, that David knew a lot more, self-taught as well, because he was sort of not with the family for uh, the time he was born. But he still had the Messiah, and he was a tremendous Tamachacham. And uh, he's young, and he doesn't really know. But whatever he knows, he doesn't veer off. I think that's why this is used, Dafka. It's also ironic, Layasser, Lasser is referred to listening to the Rabbanon and Zeir's Rabbanon. We don't find much interaction with the Navi. The one time we find that the Navi suggested it wasn't a good idea, he didn't listen. Why didn't he listen? Because when Paro wants safe passage and just wants to go up north to fight Asher, and he says, no, so. He was wrong, but he said, the Pasuk Chumash says, I shouldn't let him through, and you're telling me to let him through. But that's when Losasa replies. That's the classic example. So I don't understand. I'm not here to criticize uh, Shio Amel. I don't have to criticize. It was clearly wrong, and he was killed because of this. But it's just ironic. It uses the expression, Losar Yamin small, and the one time we find interaction, he doesn't listen in the situation. 
let's go over because it, it's always confusing for people. What is Lasasar mean? What does it mean we're supposed to listen Afilu al Yemin Shu Small, while small shu Yemin. That Rashi is misquoted. Uh, we don't know f- follow authority and error. So if we really knew one million percent that the, the psak was wrong, then not only don't you have to follow it, it's also to follow it. It's just that 99.999% of the time, and I had a few more nines, you think you're right, because everybody always thinks they're right, and we think this time we're really right, and they don't have it right, and it's pushit, but you have to follow, and Los Sasser means you've got to follow because they know better. Yadati bini yadati, as we had in last week's parsha. Yesif was very smart, and he also thought he was right. He was convinced that Yaakov was putting the wrong hand on the wrong head, or the right hand on the wrong head. And he said, Yadati bini yadati, I know what you know, and I know more than you know, and I, this is done by Mezid and Mezkaven. So, what does Rashi mean? I feel that you mean small. The whole Masech Tahirius is built on the fact that you don't follow authority and error, and if you knew it was wrong and you followed, then you're not eligible for the same carbon. There's a whole list of dinim of when to follow and when not to follow. But the fallback position is, even when you think you're wrong and you're convinced, you think they're wrong and you're convinced they're right, don't be so convinced. So... How do you know? <laughs> Here, the Melo's going to say, it's a Pasi and Chumish. Okay, it's a good cash. You have a Pasi and Chumish. Navi also knows the Pasi and Chumish. Navi also learned Chumish. Navi learned Chumish before you learned Chumish, after you learned Chumish, and while you were learning Chumish, and you learned it better. So they're arguing in the Metzias that he thought he got rid of Otazar for the land, which he's going to argue, and the Navi knew they didn't. So the Navi also knows what's going on behind closed doors better than you do. But he was a great, great, great tzaddik, and it was a bad mistake. For him and for Klai Yisrael, but it's just it's still ironic. Lazar Yemin is small. It's a difficult Nisayan, and when people really think they're right, it's hard for them to back down. Rabbi Sherer once came out of a meeting with the Moetzis. He had worked on a plan for a long time, tremendous effort and expenditure of time and money. He didn't want to present it to the Moetzis until he thought it was a Havamina that it would go through. Certain Indian for the Tzibur. And Bahiyayim, he presented it to the Moetzes, and they didn't like it in a big way. And he walked out, and he was smiling from ear to ear. And Chaim David tells over this story. He was with him, young Rabbi Zubel. And he asked him why he was smiling from ear to ear. Just like many months of effort, he just, went, uh, just got lost. He said... The organization is built on listening to Das Teira. It says, you're not listening if you agree. You're listening to yourself if you agree. It's when you don't understand and you don't agree is when you're supposed to listen. I finally got to be Mekayimit. Here, I don't understand where it's coming from. And I worked on this. I thought it was Pasha. So, that's, that's La Sasser. But that's uh, not easy. Yes? But maybe um, Chizkia also didn't listen to Yeshaya. Because of the, and he invoked David, the tradition that David had told him. Maybe here, this is the Shaya Yeshua saying that he would follow. He brought down Moshe Rabbeinu, yeah. Can't get better than Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, You're a very great Navi. Moshe Rabbeinu was greater. The difference is, is that Chizkiyo, it's a good, it's a good, good question. It was a Chiddush. The Navi was caught by surprise. Yeshaya Navi said, Well, I just told you you're going to die. Why are you telling me to leave the room? And, and uh, you're turned to the wall doing tshuva. But his Maserah was more in Bitachan and Amunah that I know from Davin Amalach that you never give up and it's not over till it's over and I can still Davin and uh, 
Yeshai even thought that was a chiddush atzim, like you're going to die in a few minutes. Like there's there's not over till it's over, and then it's recognizing when it's over. And he said, no, my filu cherev chadam menachas, you can still daven over here. They were arguing on a bit of a metzias. The navi sort of knew things were behind closed doors, and he didn't hop that the navi was telling him, no, no, it's not as clean as you think, and you didn't finish cleaning up, and it's not finished yet, and there's still a varazar behind the door. And he's quoting a pasuk that chayav le'avar ba'etzachem. Okay, but I know something yedaiti v'ni yedaiti. I know something you don't know. So the, the double issue here is that there wasn't much communication to the palace and the navi in the first place. That wasn't really his fault. It started off that way, but he should have improved more. And I'm telling you this now because in short order, we're going to have a very, very um, a tough response from Hulda. And I'll remind you, they went to Hulda to get a softer response because they figured she would daven more. She is more emotional, more sensitive. She's a, a lady, but she was in Nevi'ah. And Nevi'ah says what the Hashem tells them to say. And she has a very tough response. Part of what's going on in the background is... Why didn't you do something earlier? And you're such a good person. Now you're waking up. And it's better late than never. But she wanted to make it clear that this is not so easily fixable. So you have to understand the backdrop over here. That's because there was no communication before him. And he didn't know any better, but he was smart enough to maybe figure it out. And that was her, that was her musr. So again, I just think I'm getting ahead of myself with the war, but Lasar Yemen small is interesting in that regard. That the only one time we have, he didn't have the listening for what he thought would very good reasons. Yes? So, Lumashal, let's say there's what seems to be a gazebo <coughs> against, uh, against the Tzibor and the Dastor is coming out and uh, based on their understanding of what is to come is, is uh, speaking in very, um, very strong terms and then as people are trying to be Mavara, what is really happening it seems that it's not necessarily the way that it was presented either to the to the Inyarid or how it's being presented to so you have to deal with, again, if, if an askan is not presenting the facts right, you know, much of the shayla has to do what you're presenting in terms of the facts and the shayla. You've got to present the shaylas right. We don't have a neviim. So present the shayla right. If that was presented right, the fact that you don't understand the answer, often a response is stronger or weaker than you thought it would be because they know a lot more and they're looking a lot more forward on things that we can't grasp. The difference between... God, you saw looking at something, he's trying to look at where this is going to be in 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Not, I can also see what's in front of, you, what's in front of me, and that's easier. You've got to sometimes look, uh, look further in the past and deeper into the future, and that's not always clear to the Hamanam. Uh, I'll remind you, uh, we spent a long time in that camera. The Yerkan Mezakai was not very popular when he gave away Yushalayim, and that's an understatement, and it was so daunting and so frightening that he was nervous himself that he made such a decision that he had the Achrayas to make the decision and he didn't know where it would end up. But he had to do your best and the mantle leadership fell on him and it was very unpopular. One sheet to the Gemara is Meishiv Cham Ochar V'daytem Yisakal and that was Hashem Yetzadav not criticizing Rebbe and Zakai that Hashem forced him to make that decision even on paper that wasn't the one because Hashem Yetzadav that's also Das Teira and others say no it was the right decision just not popular there were different cheetahs but it was the right decision and the mantle of the Das Teira fell to him and he made the decision he didn't pass it on to somebody else he realized he had to that was very forward thinking we're, we're reaping the benefit of sitting here learning because he asked for Yavne V'chachamel but that was I met with a lot of uh, despair, disbelief, shock, and probably anger when it was said.
employ, is it, it would it be considered a lack of coming to, to think or to suppose that maybe some of the reaction of the Gedoli Yisrael is based on on a false reading of what information they're given, yeah. Because if you if you start with that, then you can always say that. Then you can always go around doubting everything and just say, "Well, they get the right information." There's a point when you can't say that because otherwise you'll always be saying you're never following anything. Because that's the easiest easiest way to back out of it. Just say, "Oh, that's probably something that lost in the translation." So that's uh, that's a dangerous way to go. It's it's possible that happens, and the person who is involved, who's appointed to be involved, can verify that this is the information that is being given over. But part of the dastar often by any complex topic, if you haven't noticed this already, there's always conflicting information to the tune of like seven different tracks. <laughs> and it's like I just asked a basic answer, and there's no basic answer because everybody always wants to present facts the way they present it. So part of the Das Torah is to try to figure out who is closer to the Emes and where is your best, uh, your best chance of getting, who is your best chance of getting the facts straight from. Uh, as you get older and wiser and more, uh, more sober to the realities of the world, you have to be very careful. I, this sounds sarcastic, but you know me already, I'm very optimistic. But this is the realist part. Uh, whenever I read anything or uh, seeing the information or any data, I first find out who I'm getting it from or who I asked. I, I, I make a decision who I'm asking to get me the data. That's crucial, uh, crucial decision, number one. And then number two, Baruch Hashem, I know how to read, and I read it a few times carefully. And number three, I also find out who published the data. It sounds like to a child, that sounds funny. Like, who published data? It's in print, right in front of you. That's, okay, I just want, who published it? Was it a Democrat? Was it a Republican? Was it a, a liberal? Was it like, what, what is their axe to grind? Everybody's got some angle, and everybody has uh, very often a sponsor. Who paid for this? That's crucial. Now, you've got to take that only so far, because you've got to be able to read something, and somebody always paid for something. There's nothing that's dropping min ha-shamayim. That would be great to have a generic thing just drop min ha-shamayim. It's called the Urim Vatumim. We don't have that anymore. So you've got to figure out where it's coming from and who. But after all that, then part of that story is making the decision on that, and that's part of that siyat ha-shamayim. So, and if you keep on guessing at that, then you'll never have any decision. That's the, uh, that's the short answer for a complex topic. Let's go back for Yamin Usmol. Say, Yaakov, thank you for... Uh, uh, bring it up because we'd have to discuss it later. It's good to start discussing it now. Uh, so now, as we have every century or two, especially when you have a Melech Tzadik, he wants to clean up the Beis HaMikdash. Cleaning up the Beis HaMikdash means a number of things. In Gashmias, just disrepair, and it comes from Maruchnias Digaben. Very interesting how this is the first project that the young king will usually work on. For, I think, a simple reason. It's the Makar of Ruchnias. It's the center of the kingdom. And it's the most practical thing you could do in the first place. A building campaign. Not just for raising funds. He had the funds. To, to fix things up in a practical way is something you can wrap your hands around and start working on. And then, if you're guide is to improve the Ruchnius, you'll get to see the Shema to do that. And this is a, a case in point, because as they start cleaning up, they're going to find a Sefer Torah that was hidden 
different shitas. A Sefer Torah that the original one, the Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, that was hidden. Or a Sefer Torah that was hidden because they're burning Sefer Torah Nebuch under the former regimes. And speaking about not having access, he just, they, they didn't bring Sefer Torah to him. Nebuch, the young man, uh, was a tzaddik. He wanted to do the right thing. He didn't have access to seeing the printed word. He had a Masera on certain things. But you're going to see the shock when they find it and start reading it. So what was so shocking? So first of all, they didn't have too many around. They had, but they were well concealed because they didn't want people, especially in the royal cabinet, getting their hands on it because they had very bitter experiences. And number two, what's going to be quite shocking, which he doesn't miss, Baruch Hashem, is they found the Sevater Niglal to the exact spot of the Pasuk of the Tochacha that says that you and your king are going to go into Golis. And that, that moved them, as we'll see. But it's going to start with the general repair and cleanup of the Mikdash. Pasuk Dalid, Alei Al-Chilchiyah Al-Kayin who is a tzaddik, Baruch Hashem, the Kayin Gadol and the king are both on the same page. That bodes well for trying to fix things up. Vayatem es ha-kesef ha-muva beis Hashem, ha-sha'osfu shamri asaf me'esa'am, and Baruch Hashem, they had the funds, they had enough people interested in giving to be able to start this campaign. You give it to the artisans who are in charge of doing the work on the ground. And it lists all the artisans who are cutting the stones and laying the stones and the woodwork. That's very nice. That they won the Madregi said, don't drive them, Meshuggah, with the uh, calculations and the receipts. And uh, they're people who, <coughs> rightfully so, they're working for a business, so they ask for a receipt. You should bring receipts back from the business trip. Or use the company credit card. That's an easier way to track things. Uh, don't they trust me? I'm just buying a water for $7 at a rest stop. What's their problem? So the answer is, if you're thirsty, you've got to buy it. We mentioned that. And if you need what you need, but just document it. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with asking for that. That's a fine way of doing it. Over here, he felt they would have more of a zrizus and eagerness to get involved, to hire good artisans when you don't insult them. And this is a very high-level expertise. He's not hiring contractors who are one year on the job. Can you imagine who gets the schuss of working in the base of Mitesh? So he wants to encourage the best and the brightest to get involved. And if you do that, they consider themselves rightfully so. They're proud of their work, and they want to have you think that they're on a certain level, that this is executive-level work, and you don't have to keep asking us for receipts every time I go to the lumberyard. And Demelech understood that, and he said just that. The order got out, just give them the money and let them do the work, because you need a certain level of trust. As they're working on it, well concealed under the floorboards, all of a sudden they find a Sefer Teirah. Rashi brings down in Ches Sefer Torah Matzasi Taman Tachas Anidbach Shedminu Sham Shesaraf Achaz Esater. This started back already with Cheskiel's father Achaz, who was Rachman Aslam burning Sefer Torah in Klai Yisrael by Yid, not Stam by Yid, by the king. That's what Cheskiel was born into. Gives you a new respect. 
for what Chizkiah was able to turn around. And uh, Menashe and Amon were doing a lot of shenanigans as well. So there were always Sadikim and Anche Maisa who made sure the Messiah was going to be able to be held intact for the next day. And if they have to hide Tzfarim and Sifre Teira to make sure it's there for somebody, then they'll do it. And they'll hide it in a place where hopefully no one's going to look, which worked. Because they made it to here, and now they're cleaning up, and they found it. But at least they found it under an administration that's interested in doing something with it. So that's number one, it, why it was hidden there. And the shock and surprise and nervousness surrounding it will be because of where it was left, which Pasuk it was on. Pasuk Tess, Vayeva Shafana Sefer Lamel Vayeshva Samel Dover, Vayemer Hitichu Avadecha Sakes or Nimse, Babayas Yednu Al Yade, Al Yad Esim Alocha, Mufkadan Beis Hashem. So Shafan here reports to the king. This is very fascinating. He's given a job to do, and he's the chief over all the contractors, and the Melech has a meeting with him every once in a while to know how the general Melech is doing in the, in the uh, Mikdash. So he reports to him, he gave over the Kesef, and they started their jobs, and they're fixing this, that, and the other thing. And then, that's Pasuk Tess. And then at Pasuk Yud, he mentions, and by the way, V'yagat shafan ha-sefer l'mela l'emer, ha-sefer anas anli chilki ha-kayin, kayin gadol gave me a sefer terev, y'greer shafan l'mela, he started reading it. It's a funny way to present this. The Pasuk before this says they were startled, they found the sefer terev, and the kayin gadol gives it the shafan, and he says, look at this. And Shafan puts it in his uh, briefcase, almost. Hope not literally. And he has a Monday morning meeting with the king anyway, and he sits down to the meeting, and as every Monday morning goes over, they gave over the money, and they're working, and they accomplished this, and they did that. And by the way, we found the Sefer Torah niggle to the Pasuk that we're all going into Gullus, and there's going to be a Churman. What kind of funny order is that to uh, say over? You start the meeting, come in, your highness. Uh, should have not been scheduled in the meeting. You should have come running before and he mentions almost Derech Haga, by the way, the Chukio gave me a Sefer term and I read some of it. Why is he treating it like this? So you get the strong impression that Shafan, and I'm not saying he wasn't from, but Chukio uh, apparently was uh, very excited and nervous about this find, and he was clearly uh, intent on showing it to the king, but Shafan was sort of Balabas here, even though Kokio was a kind Godel. Shafan was holding a lot of the power, and Shafan was officially in charge of the project, so he probably gave it to Shafan before to show it to the king ASAP, and Shafan was not too interested in showing it to the king ASAP. He wasn't interested in making it such an event because he understood correctly that uh, if we make it too much of an issue, he's going to do a lot of tshuva, and things are going to start changing around here, and everybody's going to get very from, and he wasn't that interested. So he was given orders by the kind Gadol, you can't ignore it. So he went in, he said, okay, you know, we're getting uh, 20% through the budget, and we accomplished this, that, and the other thing, and it's going just fine. And by the way, we have a Savitary, you want to hear it? Which sort of shows you that uh, it wasn't uh, by him top priority. The good news is Yoshio, when he hears it, is going to make it top priority. But just another example, you're wondering, how can he grow up in circumstances? This is his first exposure, and... He's already king for many years, and all of a sudden things are moving. The answer is he had people around like Shafan who weren't Rashayim. I don't know, he was, for all I know, he was, he was from, but he wasn't that interested in changing the status quo. Speaking maybe, of, what? Maybe he 
Yes, yes, to his credit. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he wasn't from, and I'm not saying he's a Russia, but it sounds like Chachio sort of like passed it on to him, and he didn't do anything about it until Monday morning's meeting, and then it was like the second thing on the agenda, not the first. So yes, part of it was, the reason it was buried is because the former kings burnt Sefer Teres. I don't know what to do with it. Yes, that's true. But I think lurking in the background is that he wasn't too excited about bringing this up in the first place, which just tells us again that the king is surrounded by people who are letting him be very firm, but they're not sure how much of a change in agenda they want. Remember, he's going to go when he gets even more firm after this Navua from Cholber and Navia. <laughs> And he's going to search and destroy every Avodah on the land and search people's houses and send agents into houses looking for things. Uh, I can imagine a lot of people don't like that. Like, you know, where's my personal autonomy and my space? And I just do Avodah in the bedroom and nobody sees it. And uh, like, what's, what's the problem over here? So he's going to make changes which are not going to be that popular necessarily. And Shafan Lamaisa does the right thing. He's told to read it and he will read it. And the next... Pasig is going to end on a piece of uh, bad news. He's going to rise Korea, so we'll go to the Peleyites for now and pick it up next week. You have a Peleyites up there, anyway? Right behind you? My family. We're on page Kuf Ayin Vav. Kuf Ayin Vav. Speaking of popular or not so popular agendas, so we're discussing about uh, spending money and not spending money. The mitzvah to spend money on the right things and the Yisr Baal to waste money and the delicate balance with the family and with others on where to spend and where not to spend. Let's go to the very top line on Kuf Ayin Vav. If people were smart and they were thinking about it, they were planning. It comes to money, you can really plan. It's called budgeting. And it's called Ezechachem or Ezechachem. What you will need, budgeting is not only for the day, it's also... You're doing it right, an outlook for the year, for the quarter. Not everything always runs uh, per the plan. There are always things that come up, but you have to have some sort of plan. The fact that somebody might have a lot of money, I've been told by certain people when we're discussing this, and I mentioned the word budgeting, I sometimes get a response, oh, Baruch Hashem, we don't have to budget. So I understood what that meant. And Baruch Hashem, we don't have to budget. It doesn't make a difference. We could spend without a cheshpen and there's enough there. That's very nice, but that doesn't mean you have to budget. It means you have to budget more. Because if you have a lot of extra money, what do you think it's there for? How much cotton candy can you buy? So you're held responsible. If you're uh, given a pikadon and you're now a, uh, a shamer and you're not a shamer chinam, you're a shamer sacher. Akash Baruch Hu uh, is watching and person's going to pay for it, hopefully in a positive way, when he spends it correctly. Matter of fact, he's going to get paid more when he spends it correctly. So it's not a free-for-all. And yes, you, even if there's a lot of it, you have to budget. Not the budgeting we talk about when you have to figure out what are you not going to pay this month and which bill you're going to pay and which bill you're not going to pay and what are you going to defer. That's when it's tight. Uh, when it's berafchus, uh, you have to budget to figure out what am I going to do with the extra money? What is this for? It's not just, okay, it's here, let's let it sit here, let's just spend it while I have it uh, burn a hole in my pocket. 
So budgeting is the same. It has nothing to do with how much money is there. As he says, And if things get lost and get thrown out, then that's Baltashkis. Um, and with that money, with those assets, with the resources, whether it's food or money, could have made a lot of people happy. Even if you're giving a lot, Baruch Hashem, don't worry, the Aniyim are not getting rich. No matter how much you gave, there's still a great need. The house is still empty. And if they have extra things, instead of throwing it out or wasting it, whether it be food, clothing, furniture, or money, money no one's throwing out, burning, uh, but it's uh, still being done if it's being wasted on things that uh, don't need to cost what they're spending. And sometimes they're throwing out things, they figure, ah, no one's going to want this, and what they think is mechur is uh, first class in the eyes of the ani. It's just the ash, it's just and he thinks that the usher thinks I'm going to give something like this it's almost insulting to them why would they want it or I'm going to give this level donation that's not what he wants and that's embarrassing I'm not going to give anything usually again you're always going to bump into people who have tsaris and if you give them five dollars they're going to throw it back at you and that's insulting and it's not the right thing to do you're going to always bump into people like that by and large though whatever you give is Better than zero. That's usually the way it goes. And the fact that you have some aggravation when that doesn't work out is part of the job of the Pumsara Agra. And you shouldn't fault the people because they're under a lot of pressure. <laughs> Try to think of how to best use every resource, large or small. And part of your davening should be not only for panosa and panosa bareva, but it should be that you're smart enough to know what to do with the money. Where to be uh, generous, where to have a break kite, and where to be metzamsem. It's a very difficult task, especially the more money uh, that might be available, or if you're in charge, not your money, but you're in charge because that's your appointed position of public situation, or the king. If you recall, Shalom Melech, after decades and decades of Dovin Melech putting aside all the money for the Beis Amikdash, after many wars, and he had a lot of booty, and there was a lot of money around, he put it all aside with the Sirius Nefesh. And Shalom Melech didn't use it. So you remember, Rashi says that there were two reasons he didn't use it. There's a third we mentioned recently in Shir. Rashi says that he was afraid it would lead to a chil Hashem because all the money was 100% legal, halachically, and if you leave it on the battlefield, it would be baltashchis. When you win a war and they were trying to kill you and you won, the money is yours. Not politically correct today, but that's clearly the din. There's nothing wrong with it when politically correct. Shlomo Melech was concerned that they had a premonition that Yisemitah should ultimately be destroyed and was afraid the guy would say, yeah, it was destroyed because it was built with money that was all belonging to us at one time, and Dovid Melch stole it, which he didn't. He got it up, he did, from the battle. Rishon Melch didn't want them to have the Pesach Pet, so he didn't use it. Baruch Hashem, he had a lot of money, so he didn't have to use it. But that's an interesting, and keep it up, that's interesting. Dovid Melch put it aside with most of his whole life, they didn't use it because of the Chil Hashem, possibly 400 years from now.
Interesting. I don't even know if the Goyim or the base mitzvah was destroyed ended up saying that. They didn't say it because they knew it wasn't used. If they're already making up stories, they could say, no, we remember Davinal took the money and he put it aside the base of Mitzvah. How do they know it wasn't used? Because he advertised it. That was reason number one. Uh, there's another reason that we discussed that it was David Malchah put it aside. The money had such kedusha that the Beis Hamikdash would be built directly from this money, and because that kedusha couldn't be destroyed, so that's another possibility that he didn't use it. Also, with his eye on the Chorban. The second reason, that second reason we just mentioned, not mentioned in Rashi. The only other reason Rashi mentions is the fact that during the famine. In David Amal's time, David Amal didn't open up all the oitzes that he had stored up. The reason he didn't open it up is because he already designated it for the Binyan Abayas. He didn't feel it was mutter. Maybe he even felt it was Meila. <coughs> he put it aside for the base of already. So people were hungry, and apparently there was some food, but it was very expensive, as in during famine conditions. And he didn't open up the treasury. He didn't give it to them. Not because he was stingy, because he designated it for the base of already. They didn't think it was mutter. And Shlomo felt that the money was now tainted because it wasn't used for Aniyim. That's a very interesting example. It says, Machlech Shlomo and David, but he didn't want to use it after that. Even though it's second-guessing. It's Machlech is la'alacha. David Amalek thought of that. And he didn't use it because he felt it wasn't proper. He, I'm sure he used his own money, but that money was designated already. That's just a little insight. And when Roy Litzamsem, when Roy Lahitzi, is a difficult decision, especially when you're dealing with a lot of money, and you're pulling from this budget, that budget. And it's got to be a combination of a Kiddush Hashem, and you've got to figure out there are many, many mitzvahs to do, which is why we spent a year in Hochestaka at Night Seder. There are many things you could do with your money, and there's a hierarchy in Hochestaka of what to do and where to spend it, and what's tukufa, and what's necessary, what's not necessary, what's a harasha, what's more urgent now. It has to constantly be assessed and reassessed, and you've got to ask. It's a real shaylul halacha. You've got to ask somebody what to do. It's not just a free-for-all. I've heard people say strange things like, yeah, I, I have my son, very makbid. I, it's my son already. What difference does it make? That's, that's horrible. It's my son. What difference does it make? Like he, the good news is he separated it to a different account. So it's not mine anyway. I can't touch it. That's very firm. That's good. And therefore, it's not mine. So what difference does it make? Well, you're the apitrepist. What difference does it make? If, you, if, if you're talking like that, give it over to somebody who knows what they're doing if you're already separated. But what difference does it make? Some spend it on something over here when you could be shooting over here? It's, kind of, it's not a free-for-all. Yeah. I would think I would think that the Shiloh is pusher, but apparently it wasn't. Yeah, it, it, I mean you can ask you can ask even simpler. If people are dying and it's a famine, it's a constafashus. Even if it's designated for the base of mitzvah, you would think you could spend it, which is what Shlomo thought. David Melch knew that, knew what I thought, you thought, and what Shlomo Melch thought, and he thought not so. Apparently, when I mean, you have a famine, it was probably difficult to import food. Even the small amount of food they had was very expensive. He probably didn't think he could even begin to solve the issue because there's really no food around. It's not a question of it being expensive. So it's a question of degree, how much are you really solving for the Avera, quote-unquote, of Mila Bakachim? Yes, if it were direct Sakhans somebody knocked on his door and they're about to faint and die, Chas and this is the only money here, he would spend it. The question is more of a global solution, and that he wasn't convinced was mutter. That was part of the Machlechus. Okay, Mitzvah Shem will continue next week. Uh,